Well, it is a, a joy to be here again, and this time my, the subject of my talk is the healing ministry of prayer, and I would like to tell you just a bit about myself. I'm a Roman Catholic priest, a Benedictine monk. I've been a monk for nearly 30 years now, in fact over 30 years. I became involved in the Charismatic Renewal ten years ago and began increasingly to pray for healing of spirits, minds and bodies after that. And indeed I've become increasingly involved in the healing ministry in various places as time goes on. I should say too that I've received considerable healing myself through prayer. Perhaps most importantly, healings of fears and anxieties. I've also received more than one significant physical healing. I'll tell you one of them. The cartilage in my right knee went about seven years ago, and I could hardly move, and I had to go and see the, the doctor who sent me to the hospital, and I saw the specialist, and I was x-rayed, and he said, you'd have to have an operation on that right cartilage. And the date of the operation was fixed, and I had to go to the hospital three afternoons a week for physiotherapy to build up the knee for when the cartilage had gone. And at that time, I could walk, but limping, I limped along, and I could only walk downstairs by putting the right foot first. Medical people will under understand the explanation of that. And I went one afternoon to an Anglican church in Luton where Colin Urquhart was vicar at that time. And after we'd prayed for other things, he and an Anglican woman prayed over my knee and I stood up and flexed it and I felt that was a bit different. And as we were walking out of the church, I thought, I don't seem to be limping in the same way. And when I got to the door of the church, the pathway from the church to the vicarage, I ran. And when I got back home, I walked up and down the stairs normally. They were very surprised to see the way I was walking next day in the hospital. No operation, that's nearly seven years ago. No need to see a doctor about my knee since. Well, that's a small thing compared with many healings which, thank God, are taking place in our times. And in all our churches, there is a growing healing ministry. Not very far from here that you have Burswood, where Dorothy Kerrin, an Anglican pioneer, had a centre for healing. Indeed, she's gone to heaven, but there's still a centre of healing there. And in the Roman Catholic Church, the healing ministry was helped by the Second Vatican Council, which gave uh, a new impetus, a new direction, to the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. We tended to call it before extreme unction, and to give it to people when there was no hope, humanly speaking, and think of it primarily as helping people on the journey to heaven, although we realize that healing sometimes took place. But now the primary aim has been restored of healing the sick in this life, although, of course, when God so wills, it, its, its use will also be for that final journey to heaven. Now, Jesus healed. Nearly one-fifth of the four Gospels is taken up of accounts of his healings. 
healing obviously played a very important part in his life and ministry. And I'll read just one example of his healings from Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. <coughs> he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and served him. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And it says there that he healed all who were sick, all who came to him on that occasion. And there's no record of Jesus laying hands on someone and praying for healing and nothing happening, and I'm sure that was never the case. Jesus healed. And he healed in the first place because he loved people, because he had such great compassion for the sick, those in need of healing. He also healed people as a sign of who he was. And there I'll quote from John chapter 10, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. The healings which Jesus did in the name of his Father bore witness to who he was. Jesus went about healing the sick. Jesus told his followers to heal in his name. And I read here from Luke chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And it says at the end of Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, of those who believe... They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And that's what we see happening in the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. And that's very largely how the early church spread. They preached the kingdom of God boldly and the Lord confirmed with the signs which followed. And that's what we hear at the end of St. Mark's Gospel. And they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirm the message by the signs that attended it. Amen. And the signs were very largely healing. And an example of that, Peter and John were going into the temple. The man born lame is healed. He goes with them, jumping around in joy. The Jews are greatly surprised. They gather around Peter. Peter preaches his sermon, and there are 5,000 conversions. Now, humanly speaking, no healing miracle, no Jews gathering around Peter and John to hear what they've got to say, no conversions. And you see, one of the things we notice is that Jesus promised power to his disciples. We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They were to be witnesses when they had received the Holy Spirit, when they had received power, spiritual power. Now, in our days, there's not all that much spiritual power in the churches. There is, thank God, spiritual power, but not as we see in the New Testament. Not on the same sort of scale. 
and there's a, a weakness there. You know, we're rather frightened of the conception of power. Well, we're not looking for temporal power. There's sometimes been far too much of that in the history of the church. But where is the spiritual power which Jesus promised to his disciples? Not all that much of it in most of our churches. I'm not suggesting that the power of the spirit is limited to healings, physical healings or others. The power of the spirit is also seen when someone dies of cancer with joy and peace despite the pain. But I'm sure that one of the ways that God wants to show the power of the Spirit in our time is through healings as in the life of the New Testament church. And you see, I think this is relevant for the crisis of faith in the church today. There is a crisis of faith. Crisis of faith in our country. We're asking people to believe that here was a man who had no human father, whose body was put in the grave and he disappeared and rose again, who in fact isn't just man but the God-man in a quite unique way. And most people are going to start by saying you can't expect a man educated in the scientific age to believe those pre-scientific myths, myths such as those being found in all religions like Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, etc. And even people who appreciate much of the teaching of Christ, many of them will balk at these dogmatic affirmations. And they're not going to believe unless they really see the power of Jesus at work. Words by themselves are not going to convert anybody. There needs to be the sign today just as there needed to be the sign for the early disciples. And I think the healing ministry has an important part to play there. There's a confirming of the word by the signs which follow. And I think it's perhaps not insignificant, I think it's not without importance, that the churches which relative to their size are spreading most quickly in the world today are the churches where there are healing ministries. Because the word is not only preached, but the word is confirmed by the signs which follow. So I think the, re the renewal of the healing ministry is very relevant to the spreading of the gospel in our time, to the preaching of the gospel in this land of ours. I don't think that we can preach the gospel effectively in England today if you leave entirely out of account the healing ministry. People need to see the power of Jesus at work and that's how it in Jesus it intended it to be. When we, pray for the, when we pray for healing, we should pray for the healing of spirit, mind, and body. And the most important healing is always spiritual healing. And we should never forget that. And that is the most important healing, and everybody needs always further spiritual healing. We should never lay the primary stress on physical healing. If we lay the primary stress on physical healing, we shall in fact get less physical healing than if we lay the primary stress on spiritual healing. When we are in God's order, there would be more physical healing than when we are going, putting the second first. So that's an important thing. In our healing ministry, we must never concentrate on physical healing as number, aim number one. You know, sometimes God will bring to a healing service people who come only because of a physical need 
or primarily because of a physical need. But God often brings them there primarily for a spiritual need. And it's very often after they've received a spiritual healing that the physical healing follows. So let us always get, keep our priorities right. Now, a few other remarks, general remarks about healing. Um, praying for healing should go together with cooperation with the medical profession. God also heals through doctors, through nurses, through medicine. And we should never oppose prayer for healing or the medical profession. They should go together. We should pray for doctors, nurses, people in the medical profession. We should pray that people receive the right treatment, right medicine. We should pray that the medicines and treatments are effective. We should pray for the healing of harmful side effects. You know, before you take a pill, pray that it may be effective, that God will bless it. A little grace, if you like, before meals. Pray for God to relieve harmful side effects. You know, we've seen some wonderful results of that healing of harmful side effects in recent years in, for people under chemotherapy. You know, that's very, that very difficult therapy which people with cancer often have to undergo. And very often, when, you know, through prayer, the very difficult side effects, unpleasant effects of sickness and losing hair, etc., can be very great, much lessened. But I would suggest that we should always start by praying for healing, or if it's a thing where common sense demands that we go to the doctor immediately, like a broken arm, pray on the way to the doctor for healing. It's not a matter of we try medicine, we try the doctors, that hasn't worked, so we turn to prayer. No, always start with prayer, even if at the same time you have to go to the doctor. Now I want to come to a section of my talk on why people are not healed, and I'll give various reasons. Five, in fact. Six. Sometimes it can be for lack of faith. It may be lack of faith on the part of the sick person. But that's not always the case. You know, sometimes people with no faith at all are healed through prayer to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus will heal an unbeliever so that they may come to faith. Or it may be lack of faith on the part of those who are praying, those ministering. It may be lack of faith on the part of the Christian community as a whole. You know, when we have unbelieving communities or communities with little faith, we can't expect to see much healing taking place. So what are we to do about this lack of faith? We should repent of our lack of faith. It is a sin, it is a basic sin. And I've never come across anybody, and never will, who doesn't at times need to repent of their lack of faith. Repent of the sin of our lack of faith. And in communities as a whole, we should do that sometimes. Repent that in this church, in this prayer group, of our lack of faith. And then ask God for the gift of faith, for the gift of greater faith. Ask God for the gift of expectant faith. Ask God sometimes for the gift of mountain-moving faith. Where is this mountain-moving faith which Jesus spoke about? Yes, you find it in some people. You come across some Christians through whose faith, for healing or in other ways, one can see continually 
Miracles of one kind or another happening. And I'm sure God wants to give to far more people this gift of mountain-moving faith. We should ask for it. Ask for it for our prayer groups, our parishes. Ask for an expectant faith. Ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened unto you. That applies very much for asking for greater faith. And sometimes people aren't healed because of lack of love, lack of prayer, and perhaps lack of fasting. And I'm thinking here, lack of these things in the first place on the part of those who are ministering on the part of the Christian community. Now I knew of a recent case, I think it was last year, when a London medical specialist had a very bad heart attack. And uh, he had to have open-heart surgery, and it was a dicey business. And it went very well, and he was wonderfully restored to health. But I'm not telling you of this as a, an example of a healing miracle. He was a member of a charismatic covenant community. And during one week, somebody was praying for him all the time, night and day. Night and day, somebody was praying for him. That same ecumenical covenant community did the same thing when the Pope was shot. Now just think of the love behind that. Just think of the prayer behind that. And how much prayer and love do most of our communities provide when somebody's sick and needs healing? Isn't there a challenge to us there? Yes, one reason why there's not more healing is because of lack of love and prayer on the part of the Christian community. And I said perhaps fasting. I have to admit I'm not very good at fasting. But you know, it was something which Jesus regarded as a normal part of the Christian life. He didn't say if you fast, he said when you fast. And experience shows in many cases that where there's fasting, you know, that increases the power of prayer or at any rate, God seems to answer prayer which comes from fasting people. Another challenge to our Christian communities and churches, but one which needs to be faced in a balanced way. We don't want exaggerations, we don't want fasting of a kind which the doctor wouldn't like. But you know, most doctors would be very happy if most of us did some fasting, or many of us. Another reason why people aren't healed sometimes is because of lack of love, failure to forgive, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, envy, all these unpleasant, sinful things from which, alas, we all suffer to some extent. You know, these things both cause illness and block the healing power of Jesus. And we're finding in experience that particularly forgiveness, lack of forgiveness, is holding up the healing power of Jesus. We find often that when someone has learned to forgive, the physical healing will follow, particularly in something like arthritis. So forgiveness is right at the centre of the Gospel in the relations between individuals. Jesus was very strict on forgiveness. You know, he said, when he taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So if someone needs healing, physical or otherwise, start by asking yourself, is there anybody I haven't forgiven? 
and repent of that lack of forgiveness and ask God to give you the grace of forgiveness. When we pray for healing later today, we should be repenting of lack of forgiveness and we should be asking God to give the grace of forgiveness. And everybody will be invited to examine whether they've forgiven everybody and it's not to God's grace to do so. Another reason why people sometimes aren't healed is because there's a need for a change in lifestyle first. Jesus doesn't want to heal people to live the sort of life he doesn't want them to live. Let me give some examples. If somebody's smoking 40 cigarettes a day and has a bad chest, it's no good just praying for miracles on the chest and doing nothing about the 40 cigarettes a day. Jesus will probably want a healing of a lifestyle of the cigarettes first. The same could apply to the bottle of a whiskey a day and the liver. The same could apply to workaholics. Some people are workaholics. They're working more than God wants them to work. And you see, God may allow an illness to start as a sign that he wants them to ease up. And he's not going to do miracles for them to go on being a workaholic in a way that he doesn't want them to be. Or it may be a question of food and diet. Many eat people eat in a way which is not wise, which is not sound. Personally, I'm very much in favour of this health food movement. Now you see again, no good asking for miracles of healing on the stomach if you're doing nothing about the ten cream cakes every afternoon. And you know, to, we should ask ourselves, you know, am I eating wisely? God doesn't want us to ask for miracles in things which should be put right just through common sense Christian living. Or it may be lack of sleep. And if somebody's not taking the normal amount of sleep and could do so, God will want them to change their sleeping habits before he'll do, so to speak, miracles of taking away their tiredness. And another reason why people sometimes aren't healed is, I think, redemptive suffering. And here I would agree with Francis McNutt, who gives this one of the reasons why people are sometimes not healed. God may sometimes have a purpose of redemptive suffering in an illness, for a time or more than a time. And if he has that purpose, then no amount of praying will take away that illness, at least for as long as the Lord wants it to be there. Now, I think redemptive suffering is a very important part of the good news of the Gospel. Some people can think, oh, it's a rather sort of gloomy thing. Where does that fit in with the joy, etc., of Jesus? Redemptive suffering is a beautiful, joyful truth. It's a wonderful truth in this, because we know that any one of us may be facing the most enormous suffering within ten minutes. Things can happen to anyone. Things do happen. Jesus said that there would be the cross in life. Now, if our sufferings are fruitless and meaningless, they're doubly awful. But if through, through God's grace and the mercy of Jesus, that united with his sufferings, our sufferings can be very fruitful for ourselves and others, that is wonderful good news, that your sufferings can be fruitful. And here I would read this verse from Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. <coughs> and some people are not healed because it's time to go to heaven. 
And the only perfect healing for anybody is to go to heaven. And when we're praying for healing, we're not trying to people, keep people out of heaven for a day longer than Jesus wants. You know, life in heaven is so much more wonderful than life on earth that we should never be one to keep people out of heaven longer than God wants. But when we pray for what doctors would call terminal cases, we do so insofar and to the extent that they haven't finished the work which God has for them to do on earth. And I think, you know, that sometimes when we're praying for people who are, have got what doctors would call terminal illnesses, the result of our prayer will be not that they live longer, sometimes it will be that they live longer, but sometimes it will be that they die more quickly. You know, some people have, so to speak, it's time to go to heaven and there's some sort of unfinished business which is holding them back on this earth. Maybe they haven't forgiven somebody, maybe they're still frightened of death, maybe there's some other job they haven't fulfilled. And, may, and so the result of praying for healing in some cases will be to help deal with that unfinished business so that they can go to heaven more quickly. But we shouldn't say too quickly when we're dealing with people suffering from illnesses or people who may be in danger of dying, we shouldn't say too quickly redemptive suffering or it's time to go to heaven. I think we ca Roman Catholics often make a mistake there. We sometimes say too quickly, there's an illness, oh Jesus has sent someone this cross, obviously they must accept it, that's clearly God's will. Whereas in fact, in many of these cases, what Jesus wants to do is to heal the sickness so that they can get on serving him and in other ways and bearing other crosses in the spreading of his gospel. So you see, it's only when in fact we really pray for healing and really seek it through prayer and medical reasons and medical means, it's only when we've done that and nothing happens that we can perhaps say, well, God appears to have a purpose of redemptive suffering in this case, or he appears to be calling this person to heaven now. Far too often, you know, people have, have not even attempted to pray for healing, have thought too quickly, this is person, it's time to go to heaven. You know, if there were more prayer and more fasting, and more sort of concern in this way than I'm sure many people who regard it as unhealable, in fact, would be healed. And I want to say here a word about praying for older people. You know, there are quite a few of us here who are over 30. Now, <laughs> when we're praying for older people, well over 30, what are we praying for? in their physical healing. Are we asking that a man of 80 have the heart and the eyesight and the hearing of a man of 20? No. It's quite natural that as the years go by, certain powers diminish. But you can grow old in a sort of broken, disruptive way, which is more trouble to other people, or you can grow old in a more gentle way, more whole way, which is less trouble to other people and allows you to be a more complete person. And we're praying for the second of those two. And we shouldn't say, as we often do, too quickly. We shouldn't say, as we often do, too quickly, oh, it's an old person, they've obviously just got to accept it, and there's nothing to be done. And I think, you know, for older people, they themselves should go on praying for their healing and go on getting other people to pray for their healing. 
And, you know, successful praying for physical healing in older people may be what I would call, so to speak, a sort of successful rear guard action. You know, it can slow round down, it can slow down the rate of, of d diminishment and decay. And that is something which can be very worthwhile. You know, if somebody's hearing lasts out a bit longer, if their walking lasts out a bit longer, I mean, that can be something to praise God for. But, you know, God will sometimes do extraordinary things also with old people. And I, if I could give you the example of my dear beloved father, who's now 92. He's had glaucoma for about 20 to 30 years. He's had cataract in the last few. Because of his heart, he can't be operated on. And his eyes have been gradually getting worse. But what surprised the specialist was that they got worse so slowly. So I thought this is an example where the prayer of my sister and other people was just sort of helping to slow down the rate of diminishment and one was praying that you know, he would be able to continue to see while he lived in this life. But about nine months ago, the specialist said, your eyes are much better. You see, one would have said 91, cataracts and glaucoma, nothing to hope for. But his, his eyes made something of a leap forward. Not, of course, you know, perfect sight or anything like that, but really enough to make a, a serious difference. So don't let us say, too soon. You know, there's nothing to be done about it with old people. And even where, for instance, you know, praying for physical healing can be very worthwhile when, even when it's only a matter of relieving pain and suffering. Sometimes, right, you may not succeed in helping an arthritic person who's absolutely crippled and invalid to leave their bed, but maybe they'll spend their time in bed with much less physical suffering. And that, again, can be very well worthwhile. Now I want to pass on to another section of my talk. Now I want to talk about the important place of the sacraments in the healing ministry. And I think that this may be a special contribution of the Roman Catholic tradition to the healing ministry as a whole. And I want to talk first of all about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick and we'll read the words from that of its biblical foundation in James chapter 5. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think that we really need to make greater use of the anointing with oil and the sacrament of the anointing of the sick in our churches. And another sacrament which has a, a healing aspect is the, the sacrament of reconciliation or confession. Obviously that's primarily a spiritual side of healing. But there again, I mean, through forgiveness, there can be a wonderful spiritual healing which can lead on to emotional and indeed physical healing. And finally, of the sacraments, I would like to stress especially the healing force strength of the Holy Eucharist, our Lord himself in the Holy Eucharist. You know, I think that when we go to communion, that should be a great moment of openness receiving the healing touch of Jesus in spirit, mind and body. Now, I think in all our traditions, we're aware that that should be a moment of spiritual healing. 
but it can also be a moment of physical healing. And when we receive our Lord, when we go and receive Holy Communion, I think we should ask him to heal us and strengthen us and protect us in spirit, mind and body. And I think a privileged moment for praying over people for healing is after they've received Holy Communion. Let us make greater use of the sacraments, these blessings given by our Lord himself in the ministry of healing. And now I want to pass on to another section of my talk, Who Should Pray for Healing? Well, we've just seen that the elders of the church should lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil. So that's one group of people who have a special aspect of the healing ministry committed to them. But then the whole Christian community should be praying for its members for healing. Healing of spirit, mind and body. In all our parishes, in our prayer groups, we should be praying as a whole for the healing of our members. And then I would like to stress in a special way the importance of people praying for healing within families. Husbands and wives praying over each other for healing, praying for their children for healing. Within families and among friends, people close to you. You know, where there's a greater love, there's a greater call and a greater channel in general for praying for healing. And God will people give people sometimes a special gift of healing for other members of their family when he won't give them a special gift for those further afield. There was a very beautiful case of that I came across recently. A woman in our area near Conkfosters had for many decades suffered much from migraine headaches and really suffered a great deal. And Various people in prayer groups had laid hands on her for healing for these migraine, and people with special ministries had laid hands on her, and really it hadn't got anywhere. And her husband, who's a Catholic and in the charismatic renewal, is not someone who was regarded as having a healing ministry. But when he started praying on her head, laying his hands on her head and praying every day for healing, wonders, miracles happened. She's just been freed from these migraines, decades of suffering of migraine, just like that. And you see, it was right that he as her husband should do it. And God gave him an especial anointing for praying for his wife. And may I suggest that if you can, when you're praying for your husband, your wife, or your child, you lay hands on them. You know, Jesus said, believers shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's not just something for the clergy. And if somebody's got, say, a sick elbow, put your hand on the elbow, sick shoulder, put it on the shoulder. It doesn't have to be next to the skin. Take overcoats off. And you, it's just, it's a fact of experience that when hands are placed on the sick part, often more seems to happen. And don't be shy about it. Don't be shy about it. I'm sure God wants to do far more healing in families and among friends and among people who are close to each other. And then some people have received, according to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, some people have received gifts of healing. And I think in our time we're seeing more and more God raising up people in prayer meetings, in parishes, in convents, 
with gifts of healing. And it's been a great joy for me in the last decade to see a very considerable number of people, a very considerable number of people, some present here today, who have, to much to their surprise, received gifts of healing from the Lord. And as I see it, what God is wanting to do in our time is not primarily to sort of raise up some one or two giants of healing here or there, healing ministry, because of course it's only Jesus who heals. Yes, he will want to raise up some people with especially great gifts of healing, but I think he's even more wanting to raise up in every Christian community people with gifts of healing. So that as I see it, in a normal parish there will be, say, perhaps a dozen people who have rare gifts of healing and who are used in that parish to lay hands on people and heal the sick. And I'm sure that's it. We need to spread the healing ministry. I'm sure that's what God wants. You know, I'll be happy today if some people are healed as a result of prayer. I expect some people to be healed as a result of prayer. But I would be far more happy if some new people are, are led into the healing ministry. That's far more important. To help spread this work of the Holy Spirit of healing in the name of Jesus. So we, we are to use and thank God for these gifts of healing. But I want to say a few words about their exercise. First of all, gifts of healing, like every other gift, need to be exercised under submission. Any gift of the Spirit, just exercised by the person on their own, not under authority, is liable to go wrong. Now that would apply to preaching, to teaching, to accounts in the church, and it applies very obviously to healing. And the second point I'd make in connection with that is that nobody is the discerner of their own gifts. And we must submit to the discernment of the group and especially the leadership of the group. I might think I have a wonderful gift of music. I might go to the leaders of the prayer group and say that I think I'm the greatest thing in music since Beethoven. Try me out. Well, if I really think that's so, I should tell them so. But then... It would be for them to discern, which in my case would be a very rapid one. <laughs> now that applies for healing, because you see, some people think they have gifts of healing, have the wrong sort of ambition to have gifts of healing. Uh, and maybe they will have gifts of healing later, but not yet. And they would, could do harm if they went round laying hands on people for healing. And they must be willing to submit their... The feeling that they have gifts in this way submitted to the discernment of the leadership. That is very important for healing, as indeed for every other ministry. And you see, for the gift of healing, as for every other gift, we need humility. You know, every gift goes wrong if it's not exercised in humility. And you know, that is perhaps more true for the gift of healing than for many other gifts. It can be very heady stuff. I can remember a lady, when I'd been praying over her depression one evening some years ago, she insisted on kissing my hands and saying, these have been the hands of Jesus for me tonight. Now, for all I know, a week later she said, well, that visit was a complete waste of time. But it's heady stuff, you know, when people start saying that sort of stuff. And you see, as we grow in the gifts, we've got to grow in humility. And part of that growing in humility is the willing to accept the discernment of others about our gifts and exercise our gifts under submission.
So those with gifts of healing have to grow in humility, otherwise things are going to go wrong, and very wrong. But on the other hand, we have to avoid in the Christian community jealousy and envy. And very often that happens when gifts of healing arrive. Who does she think she is? Why does she think she's better than me? Why is she allowed to lay hands on people and not me? These are the sort of things, you know, we're sinners. Sin goes very deep in each one of us. We all have problems of jealousy, envy, pride, self-seeking at times. And it colours all our ministry and it colours our participation in prayer groups and in parishes. So there needs to be this ongoing growth in humility. And a last word on this, these gifts of healing of this kind. The gift of healing is not a sign of sanctity. And that, I think, has been a mistake in some of our churches. We've had a sort of tradition, the saints are used to heal. So if somebody prays for healing, they must be a saint, or, more probably, they think they're a saint. And who do they think they are? Who are putting themselves on a pedestal and doing that? Or, you see, somebody that might ser- someone might say themselves, well, well, I'm no saint, I shouldn't be praying for healing. And in that case, nobody would pray for healing, because if there was a saint, he wouldn't think he was one. Now, there's nothing in the New Testament that suggests that you need to be more of a saint to, to exercise the ministry of healing than to exercise the ministry of teaching, administration, helping. And we all know, we don't say that nobody should be allowed to teach, administer the parish accounts, etc., until they're a saint. Of course, for all the gifts, we need to be seeking, all of us, to go in the direction of sanctity. And no gift will grow in the right way if we're not seeking to grow towards sanctity. But people should start exercising gifts of of healing before they're real saints. And you see, so we've got to break that idea, the gift of healing is for people who are special saints. And to realize that God gives gifts to sinners and uses sinners and doesn't wait till we're saints before he uses us to heal. And I want to say a word now about a particular gift which very often goes with the ministry of healing, the gift of the word of knowledge. Now God sometimes gives people, there are people in this hall tonight who have this gift, he sometimes gives people this gift in this sort of form, that they will just know, say in a gathering like this, that God is healing someone of a right knee, a left ear, a back, fears, a relationship with their father, something of that kind. I was present at a meeting not long ago when a French Roman Catholic priest with a great gift of healing suddenly said he knew that God was healing somebody, a woman present, age 52, of a certain relationship. Now, God does give these gifts to some people. And uh, we should thank God, that, thank him that he does give these gifts. How do they know? Well, sometimes it can be in this way. Sometimes they may feel in their own bodies a certain pain or tingling in the part of the body which God is healing for someone else at that moment. So somebody might feel a pain in their right knee and know from experience that that meant that God was healing or wanting to heal somebody's right knee in the room. Now, we shouldn't be too frightened of these gifts. 
You've had in this area a man who has this gift in a very wonderful way, Ian Andrews, a Protestant I mean, who's been ministering for healing, and I've seen indeed wonderful healings done through him in this way, through the exercise of this gift. But the, but the warning I gave about humility and exercising the ministry under submission is especially important in this field. Because whereas wonderful things can happen, very harmful things can happen. And uh, so one, this sort of gift needs very much to be exercised in humility and sub under submission. It needs to be a tested gift. Otherwise, sometimes considerable harm can be done. And in our prayer meetings and in our parishes, we shouldn't let people we don't know exercise gifts of this kind if it's not discerned you know, that they have these gifts because harm can follow. I've been in prayer meetings where harm did follow. Pray for your own healing, including physical healing. You know, some people have a sort of difficulty about that. I think perhaps it's Roman Catholics who especially have a difficulty about that. Sometimes they feel, well, you know, Jesus has given me this cross of illness and somehow it's selfish to pray for my own healing or more important just to pray for the healing of others. I remember quite a young Roman Catholic who was a complete cripple, couldn't do any work, and said to me quite proudly one day, I never pray for my own healing. And I think he was mistaken. Because, you see, there is nothing more selfish in praying for your healing than there is in going to the doctors. We have a moral obligation, all of us, to try to be well physically, in general. And that should cover praying for healing just as much as going to the doctor. Now, we know from Christian common sense that if you break your arm, you should go to the doctor. And in the same way, you should pray for healing. There's nothing selfish about praying for your own he healing, providing you do it in the right way. Because we pray for healing, not just to avoid our pains and suffering, but so that we may be able to serve Jesus better. Healings happen where there are loving, believing, praying, and perhaps fasting Christian communities. And if there are healings are not taking place in your prayer group or in your parish, then you should pray to God to raise up this ministry. Ask God to raise up people with special gifts of healing in your parish, your prayer group. Ask God that the whole community may be praying with faith and love and belief and perhaps fasting for healing. If it isn't happening, Ask and it will be given you. Ask that God may raise up this ministry in your parish. You know, I consider that normal Christianity. In one way, I think a Christian community in which healings are not happening in answer to prayer is subnormal. Subnormal if we look at the New Testament. Subnormal, I believe, when compared with what God, I think, is wanting to do in our time. So, if they're not happening, if healings are not happening in your prayer group, your parish, well, start praying that God will do something about it, that he'll give his gifts, that you may become that loving, believing community in which healings happen. And the last point, I think there's a wonderful link between Christian unity and the healing ministry. You see, God uses members of one church to heal members of another church. You see, I think when God uses a member of one church to heal a member of another, 
not only, thank God, is someone healed in spirit, mind, and body, or, or, uh, but in fact the church is brought closer to each other. And I think God does that just to show us what he thinks of our divisions. One of the say, ways in which he's bringing Christians of different traditions together is using them to heal each other. Because, you see, when it comes a matter of laying hands on somebody, God doesn't say, this is a Baptist hand and a Baptist head. You see, at that level, you know, his, his, the Holy Spirit doesn't ask those questions in quite that same way. And perhaps it's to teach us not to ask the same questions in exactly that same way either. Well, I think I've said all I have to say, and indeed I've gone on too long already. But before that, there's now an opportunity and time for questions. And please don't feel free to say just what you want. Uh, don't be shy. Make your comments if you want to be critical. Please do be critical. Then I understand after time we shall be breaking for tea, and then at five or soon after, then we shall actually be entering into a sort of service and time of praying for healing.